Thank you to all those who read, and thank you for listening to the presentations. Those two songs, one was played and one was um, read aloud, were written by Belfast, Belfast writers, so they seemed appropriate on this weekend where we're focusing uh, on this city and what God is going to do in this city. Um, last night, I'm sure if any of you were watching um, the, the, the concert from the Waterfront Hall on BBC Two, it opened with these words, uh, reflections from a, a man who was a first-class passenger uh, writing after the event, and he wrote this. There was a peace, and the world had an even tenor to its way. Nothing was revealed in the morning that wasn't known the night before. It seems that the disaster that was about to occur was the event that not only made the world rub its eyes and awake, but woke it with a start, kept it moving at a rapidly accelerating pace ever since, with less and less peace, satisfaction and happiness in my mind. In my mind, the world awoke on April 15th, 1912. I suppose the thought that was in my mind this week as I was thinking, reflecting and preparing was, are we awake? Are you and I awake to what God is going to do in this city today? You know, sometimes words come easy when you're standing up to speak and sometimes they don't. Sometimes you maybe feel like a little like you've lost your way. Sometimes you're all over the place. I'm sure you can empathize with that yourself. I think my mind has been all over the place this past couple of weeks, so much so that we got to Friday night and the words still weren't coming together. And then last night they still weren't coming together. And um, I suppose what God was saying to me was sometimes you don't need words, sometimes you just need to listen. And I suppose as I sat there last night in the darkness and tried to cobble together what I had prepared that um, I was aware of the randomness of some of it but also the awareness of God just saying that's fine just listen listening to God listening to see what God is doing in my life in your life in this church's life and in our nation's life as we stand on this cusp I suppose of history as we reflect back um, on the past we've been kind of uh, struggling with, is it right to, do we celebrate the Titanic? Do we commemorate it? Um, how much tourism is acceptable uh, to, um, in that kind of environment? Then we also were thinking in some of the headlines about um, the ship sank. It wasn't our fault. It was five minutes left here. We've heard how the White Star Line sacked all the staff on board just in the early hours as the ship was going down and even billed some of the families for uniforms afterwards. But something struck me through the readings and the poems and the videos that I'd put together, and it was this. The strap line for Northern Ireland in 2012 has been our time, our place. But I wonder, are we willing to let it be God's time and God's place? It's clear that God is in full control, and God has a plan for the right here and the right now. It's also clear that God uses us, but it's God's plan in God's time. It's just a brief reflection then on some other group of people who were similarly trying to battle with that challenge as they figured out what their faith meant practically as they followed Jesus around. Just going to focus our thoughts on a familiar uh, Sunday school story. Um, I'm sure many of you know this by heart, so that's why uh, I didn't think we needed to read it this morning. It's the feeding 
of the 5,000. I suppose sometimes stories are so familiar to us that we kind of gloss over them. Sometimes we miss things in them. Sometimes uh, when we come to them afresh, certain things will stand out uh, and speak to us in a fresh and a new way. And when I was reading this story, the thing that stuck out to me was that when Jesus was in the midst of trying to feed the 5,000, he turns to the disciples and says, you feed them. And I wondered if that this morning could be a challenge to you and I here. You feed them. There's a world on our doorstep, and I know that Fitzroy has done wonderful things in the past and in the present, but I want us to have a think about in the future. Who are the people that might be gathered that we may have to feed? So just a short reflection then um, on this feeding of the 5,000. On one level, the the story of the provision here indicates how Jesus meets needs, but in other ways, it shows that the disciples were charged with a task. They had a commission to go out and kind of live the kingdom uh, as they find it on their doorstep and feed the 5,000 as they were gathered. I wonder, can you remember the events of the story? It's a solitary place. Uh, Jesus has withdrawn to kind of get a bit of a rest with his disciples. It's recounted in all four Gospels, and I suppose if you're going to try to emphasize a point, repetition is always a good way of doing that. So Jesus is resting, but the crowds still follow him. They know that he has this message that they want to hear, they want a bit of it, they want to get in on the story that he's preaching. He preaches away, gets dark, people are hungry with 5,000 men children, women as well. The crowd were still motivated by what Jesus was saying and what Jesus was doing. And they're hungry. They're looking for something to eat. And what is Jesus' response? He stuns his disciples with the simple words, you feed them. They're alarmed. They're in a deserted place. They can't simply nip to a corner shop and grab something and bring it back and suddenly everyone's hunger will be met. We can't do it. They cry. I'm sure somebody in the group who was good at figures was adding up perhaps how much it might cost to feed the 5,000. But yet again, Jesus says to them, you feed them. So they do. Uh, He tells the crowd to break into uh, units of 50 and 100. He takes the five loaves and the two fish that they've managed to find from around about and blesses them, gives thanks, and distributes it to to the gathered crowd. Suddenly, the needs are met. In the story of the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples came to Jesus and said, send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy some food for themselves. But his response, they don't need to go. You give them something to eat. So I wonder today as we sit here and reflect on history and the stories of our past, of what's come and what's been and what will be, what is God saying to us? What's God saying in the here and now? What's his challenge to you and I as we go about our daily business, as we go to work, as we come home from work, as we live in our families, as we go to the shops, as we walk past the people we walk past every day? Is God saying, you feed them? 
I'm not kind of talking just about offering somebody dinner, but um, <laughs> oh, that might work. Uh, but what is God saying? What are the needs? How are we going to meet them? What are we going to do? The cry goes out again. You give them something to eat. We have to try and figure out what that means in our context. I know uh, when I used to be on Facebook that I used to get into a bit of banter with John Trinder and I used to be, oh, let's change everything. And John would have said, but what are you going to replace it with? And sometimes that's the hard question, isn't it? It's all right to see what's wrong and how to change it, but when it comes to the point, do we really know what to replace it with? So what do we do? We listen. We listen to what God is saying. We listen to what he is saying to us in the busyness of our lives, in the quietness of our lives, and in the still moments of our lives. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. I suppose none of us really know um, what will make history. I'm sure when people were setting out on the Titanic, they were going, yes, with a sense that this was a big voyage, but also with a sense of excitement, wonder, awe. I'm about to go and re, you know, my life is going to come together again, as Jim Pat was praying. You know, we had third-class passengers who set off, and they're thinking, my life is so bad back here. Here's a land of hope. Here's a land of promise. Here's New York, that shining beacon beacon in the darkness. I'm going to go there, and things are going to all fall into place. We never know what's going to make history. We never, you know, I'm sure, well, they didn't know that the ship was going to sink. Um, but what, what's going to be history for our province? You know, we've seen the Titanic. We've seen the Good Friday Agreement. We've seen the things that have come, like the MTV Music Awards. But in the words of the song, greater things have yet to come and greater things have still to be done here. I suppose that's why um, I had asked Caroline to read that bit about being salt and light. It's about just getting out there, just being, just incarnationally being Jesus on your doorstep and letting people see him, his glory, his love, and, change, and through that love, change the world around us. I'm going to leave um, a little space for reflection now just before we sing our final song. Um, which is from Emily Sanday, um, and quite a new artist. Um, I actually had been enjoying some of her music, and then, sorry, this is turning into a plug for John Trinder. John Trinder had blogged about her album, and I went out and bought it. And these words kind of stuck with me, and they've been kind of haunting me over this, the, um, this past couple of weeks. It's, got, it's, it's the first verse, and it goes, you've got the words to change a nation, but you're biting your tongue. You've spent a lifetime stuck in silence afraid you'll say something wrong. So I'm just going to play this song and ask you to, in the quiet, quietly reflect on what God is saying in the here and now. What are we going to do to make a difference in this city, God's city, God's time, God's place?